Welcome to Feed the Lake, the podcast for the chronically creative. I'm your host, Dave Getz. Welcome to season one of my podcast where I'm chronicling the creative journey that brought my first full-length musical to life over a period of seven years, from 2011 to 2018. Last episode, I told the story of the unforgettable evening that was the world premiere. In this final episode of season one, I am asking you, listener, to not just take my word for it. This episode will be an interview between myself and Micah Hancock. Micah was the lead videographer and editor of the Ruth the Musical mini-documentary that can be found on our website, theruthmusical.com. I met Micah for the first time in May of 2018, about six weeks before the world premiere, and I knew that I had immediately found a friend who not only shared my love of the Green Bay Packers, but also my desire to view the world as a unique, creative playground. Since this first collaboration, Mike and I have teamed up several times, and I couldn't imagine a better friend to work with when it comes to feeding the lake. I wanted to ask Micah, as someone who hopped onto the Ruth Project right at the end, what it was like to see this unique musical come to fruition. We also get into Micah's creative life as a freelance videographer, and we have a great conversation about creating for our local communities. I really hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with Micah Hancock. Micah Hancock, welcome to the Feed the Lake podcast. Thanks for letting me be here. You are this podcast's first uh, celebrity guest, I'll call you, because you're a celebrity in my mind. Oh, that, so there's the pressure. So if, I, if this doesn't go well, I might be the only celebrity guest. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so I, I wanted to talk to you specifically um, at the end of this season, because if the listeners have, have made it this far in this season, they've heard me talk about, you know, the kind of the narrative journey of getting Ruth the Musical from, you know, just a, a spark of inspiration to a full musical production in 2018. Full disclosure, we are recording this three years after the fact. It is the year 2021. The benefit of hindsight here <laughs> <Yes>. is... <laughs> um, and it's, it's also present. been three years since I've known you. And I think we could say that, uh, you know, by Webster's Dictionary definition, we are friends and we do talk more than just unrecorded sessions here on the podcast yeah. um so and it was ruth that really led us to be friends so could you um we'll get to kind of what you do in a little bit here but could you kind of tell the listeners how you kind of came to hear about the ruth project and what were your first thoughts when you got on board yeah so we had had a passing knowledge of each other but it wasn't until you actually reached out and asked would you be interested in doing some sort of film about the production of ruth that I really started to get to know um, the story of Ruth and what you were going through and even your story of going seven years ago, I started writing this and now it's coming to fruition. So I had kind of the, the benefit of jumping into the Ruth story right as the, as about ready to, right as we're ready to hit the climax and not, you know, not necessarily being a part of a lot of the administrative work and the planning work and the creative work, but just to kind of come in and enjoy the fruits of all your, your work for the previous seven years. And then from that, um, you know, kind of getting to walk with you the kind of final few miles of the Ruth journey, if you will. That's a good way to put it, because um, I, I believe it was May when we talked. So the premiere was in June. So, I mean, it was the last probably four to six weeks mm -hmm. uh, before we were going to premiere the thing. Um, did you have any, like, trepidation of joining so late in the journey, or did, was there any reservations you had? 
Uh, not at all. You're like, can you? Because you you basically said, I want to pay you to do like a little film about the story of making this, and I'm not sure how the premiere is going to go, but I want. I think I want to capture stuff anyway. Uh, okay, I'm in. You know, like I have no clue where this is going to go, but I am. You know, I love doing films about interesting things and interesting people doing interesting things, and this this checked all those boxes. One of the fun moments I remember when we were filming back in 2018 was we actually went to Grace Church and, and filmed some footage, you know, a, probably a couple of weeks before the premiere, and, and we were, you were kind of talking to me about, uh, you know, what I envisioned for the premiere. Now, in your work of, of film, you, do you do too many of these films where you're actually making and editing the film before the event has kind of actually happened? And so you didn't really know how the you know, and the product was going to look. So how did that kind of, in your creative process, how did that work since you didn't really know what the end goal is going to look like? I think anytime you start to make a documentary, you kind of have your hope for what the ending can be. And you realize it's going to be a very winding road to get there. So I, you know, I was hoping we were going to have a big crowd show up and it'd be a great reception because I think that'd be a really rewarding ending. But Actually, in that scene you were just talking about, I remember filming this shot of you just standing in this empty auditorium and just going, I hope, you know, it's like, it's pretty empty right now. And I, and I, but I hope there's more people here during the premiere. That's kind of like a dad joke moment, but creatively feeling that moment going, oh, the stakes are here though. And going, if no one shows up, that's also going to be a story. And going, as I'm kind of editing this in my mind, going, which way is it going to be? And either way, it's going to be a great story. Um, and fortunately, it was the case of, you know, there wasn't a seat in the house. <laughs> so yeah. We couldn't have scripted it better. <laughs> no, it, 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 was, it was a happy ending. But I've done other documentary work where, like, you have the ending you're hoping for and it doesn't happen. And you have to go into adapt and going, where, okay, what is the story? What am I trying to tell when the ending that I hope was going to be there wasn't? So, but Ruth was a case of, the, you know, the, the, the happy, the strong ending was there. anything that uh, and I assume were you pretty familiar with the story of Ruth before I mean this? I've been to Sunday school once or twice so <laughs> I, I kind of <laughs> um, working on kind of this you know you're working on the documentary of the making of the musical but was there anything about you know, I don't know the story or anything that came out in the process that like helped you understand the story better through your the work you did um so I would say during the world premiere, there was a lot of energy kind of backstage and even filming it myself kind of going, oh, this is it. This is a good turn. I hope everything goes well. And I didn't really appreciate the full story of Ruth during the premiere as much. Um, but going back and listening to the music again and kind of getting the chance to hear it all again on Spotify has given me the kind of space to appreciate it. And particularly... I know a little bit of your story being really influenced by Late Miz, and Late Miz is kind of the story of ordinary people doing fairly ordinary things in a very epic way, and and listening to Ruth again now, feeling that of going, that's seeing how you were inspired by Liz Miz, Late Miz, and bringing that into Ruth of going, these are ordinary people doing ordinary things in an epic way, and that's something when you kind of read Ruth in the Bible, I don't like it's easy to glance over that. It just feels very pastoral, very calm and very ordinary and, and, and 
hearing and watching Ruth the musical, you realize the stakes for these characters were incredibly high and the decisions they make had great cost. And that's something that I didn't appreciate before the show. Very nice. Um, one more kind of question here about Ruth and then maybe we'll, we'll switch directions. Now that it is, you know, we're sitting here three years later, um, I know I, you know, I can look back and, and, you know, check all these boxes for, oh, I, I wish this could have happened differently. I wish this could have happened differently or not because it happened poorly or didn't go well, but that's just what creative people do, right? We, we're always re-envisioning things. Uh, of the documentary you made, which I'm going to link in the show notes so you can watch it because it's amazing. Is there any other ways you envisioned that happening? Like you kind of wanted to take it this direction or this direction in your editing that you never really had a chance to, to flesh out? Um, I think the thing that comes to mind is we had several conversations, some of them on camera, some of them off camera, about just the sort of trepidation with releasing something to the public. And, you know, I think any creative person knows that when you hand your work off to an audience and you sort of go, like, this is out of my hands now and people might not like it and people might criticize me. And I know that's going to hurt. And I know we had conversations around that. And as someone that, you know, works in the creative field, I know that feeling so like that, that sort of like deep down in your gut feeling of, I really want approval, but I know no, not everyone will. And kind of working through some of those, those risks. I wish we'd been able to incorporate more of that, but I think for the timeline and to really flesh that out well, um, it would have required, you know, really hitting the brakes on the story of putting the musical together just to go, actually, let's dive into like the existential <laughs> crisis of being a creative person and releasing art into the world. Okay. <laughs> no, that's, well, thank you for also providing, I mean, as this podcast now goes out into the world, I'm facing that same sort of trepidation again. But um, uh, this is actually a great segue to what I wanted to talk to you about next, because, uh, you know, this podcast isn't specifically about Ruth the Musical. It's about, uh, you know, Feeding the Lake, which is uh, for the chronically creative so one of the things I've enjoyed about getting to know you is we are both, I think we'd fall under the camp of just highly creative people. We love to be creating things, making things. Uh, you obviously more in the, in the visual artistic field, me more in the aural uh, artistic field. Um, so first, can you just tell the listeners kind of what you do on a daily basis and what's your creative uh, endeavor? So I am a freelance videographer in central Illinois you know, um, been doing it full time now for about four years. And so I think kind of my, the two creative hats I wear, I like to tell people, like on one shoulder, I've got like the creative videographer, like trying to do great videos. And the other shoulder, I have a creative businessman. And these two people are always fighting each other. And occasionally the businessman needs to beat up the creative guy and go, no, we need to run a business and make money here. And occasionally the creative guy goes, no, I just want to make something that makes me happy. And those two are always at ends with each other. Um, so I like to look at my work that way as creatively running a business as well as creatively making videos. I feel like the number of times I've used the word creative, I need to come up with a different word for creative. Here. It's like, it's not very creative of me to repeat creative. <laughs> Well, the you know this, the tagline for this podcast is a podcast for the chronically creative. So when you hear that term, you know, chronically creative, what comes to mind for you? Um, I think being chronically creative. I'm in, I'm at an interesting time of life right now, and I know we're kind of similar. Where there's young kids in the house and 
it feels like most days, you know, if you can just get your work done and maybe have a decent meal and have 30 minutes of quiet, like this is, you know, that was a good day. And that's just the stage of life that I'm in. Um, so in this stage, being chronically creative means not giving up on the stuff that really makes my heart beat. And sometimes that's five minutes here or it's 10 minutes to work on a script idea for a video. Um, and it's not, you know, I, I want more days where I can just go out and do my own thing all day. But right now, between work and life, that's not available. So it's sort of like I'm trying to plant seeds now that I know in a few years will, um, will bear creative fruit. point in your life did you feel like being creative is something that is a chronic part of my personality like is oh I, I probably high school when I started doing visual work but eventually it was really in college um when a friend of mine who also did video work we would talk about uh being creatively constipated and just this idea of like <laughs> I haven't made something that's made my heart beat for a while I know it's it's, it's <laughs> And we would, like, like, dude, it's been three weeks since I've done a video that I was excited about. I'm feeling so creatively constipated. And that was sort of, sort of when I knew, I was like, okay, like, if I'm not constantly working my creative muscles, like, I will be uncomfortable. Is that, there's some visual language for you, though. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was <laughs> tremendous. Um, what are some works that you've done that come to mind that you're like, I'm really proud I made that? Um... One of my all-time favorite films I've made is called The White Chalk. And it was a passion project that I made over several seasons with just a couple people. And we premiered at a small film fest where we knew a lot of the people there, but no one knew about it. So it was this, it was this kind of this, it's this beautiful little film about being chronically creative. Um, but it's also, I love the story of just going, trying to hide this from all our peers at the time in college and going, I just want to release this at this film fest and have everyone see it for the first time there. Um, since then, uh, it's just, it's, it, the projects that I love the most are the projects that help me understand life. So I've done some videos where I've talked about why I love my wife and creatively and visually showing that, um, it's one of those things I feel like I'm telling it to myself. Like I know this all, but I'm, I'm making a video to help myself understand and occasionally those videos connect with other people. Yeah, well, I, and I'm even thinking back now, and I, I'll have to go and maybe look at my journals to see how this exactly fell into place, but I don't think I had seen any of your work before I asked you to work on Ruth. And, that's, a, that's a bold call and, right there. Well, that's, that's how I got <laughs> most of the, the cast. You know, I, I, I didn't know Courtney and Allison had you know, sung across the nation before I asked them to sing the roles. Um, and I think that's kind of what I learned about so much. What I learned about you know creativity through doing this Ruth project, with, and you know you coming on board right at the end and kind of putting it all together with that video, is you know I feel like chronically creative people find each other, and and I don't you know just like the call of the wild. Like there's something about um, people who have that like-minded vision that when they get together, it's it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's creativity is that itch that you need other people to help you scratch occasionally. And I think you have to help, you have to find those people who are going to help 
me um, not only achieve the work that I want to do, but I want to be a part of the work they're doing. Because like when you asked about doing Ruth, it's like, like I don't, you know, I hadn't heard the music, I didn't know the cast, but it's like this guy's trying to re- premiere a full-length musical in his hometown. I am, I am, I am on the ride for wherever this goes. <laughs> um, so that leads to another question I wanted to ask you here, um, and this is something we've obviously kicked around here over the last few years when we've we've talked about this stuff. Um, but that's connecting the the creative work we do to our communities and thinking, yes, you know, sometimes we're going to make a video or write a song that is just, you know, just fun or came into our head. It, it might not serve, you know, this large um, narrative purpose in society. Um, but I think most creative people at some point feel that what they do, you know, does matter in the larger picture of what, whatever's going on. And, you know, you and I, we're, we're in a very small market here in central <laughs> Illinois. Um, and uh, how do you see kind of your creative work impacting the community that you live with every day? Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like in the spirit of full disclosure to the listener, I want to be honest to say I, I've had the time to think about this. <laughs> so that's this isn't me going, oh, you know, let me let me just think for you know, off the top of my head. How do I? Um, and I think I'm actually really appreciative of that because it is the ch- chance to kind of pontificate and dwell on sort of why do I make what I make and how does community play a role in that? And as I was thinking about this, I, my first house, I taped to the front door this postcard. And so every day I went out, I would have to read this. And it was a quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes that said, most people die with music still in them. And I think that, resonates with me for two reasons of going one I want to make sure that's not me like I want to make I want the chance to you know let my music out whatever whether that's music or visuals or um written I want to put in the work and I want to creatively contribute to the world but I actually think as I've gotten a little bit older another part of that is being available to listen to other people's music and actually to put yourself in the spot of going, I want to hear what's inside of you. And that happens really well at a local community level where you where is, is these are these are neighbors risking a lot, putting their work out there, whether it's community theater or whether it's you know local artists or you know what have you, going, I'm gonna put my work out there and I hope someone listens. But I wanna be the person that listens. You know, I want to be the person that goes, I'm available to hear your song, and maybe someday you'll want to hear mine. Maybe you won't, but it's okay. But either way, we're both getting our music out of ourselves. We live in a, you know, digital age, um, you know, where getting, you know, those... Instagram likes and the YouTube hits and getting into algorithms is, is so important. And th- that being kind of a locally sourced or, you know, locally grown and lo- focusing on your local community in a way kind of goes against that. Cause you're saying, I mean, yes, there's probably a time and place to try to just get your stuff out in mass uh, on the internet and online to build, build your brand. Um, but then there's also just this, I'm, I'm poor, I'm making this and I'm putting this into my community. Do you ever have a tension with those two things, or, or where do you kind of sit there? 
so the field that I work in is very much measured by uh, reactions and what was the reach and what was, you know, how many people did we connect with. But I think um, I'm actually really fortunate that a lot of people that I work with also just really believe in what they're doing. So they're willing to sort of, sort of hold, you know, the reach and the large digital um the large digital community in one hand, but also have, a, you know, is this impacting my local clients? Is this impacting my office? You know, if, if you're doing, if I'm doing video work for, for a small business, they want a video that also sort of like tells their employees who they are. So I, I've been fortunate where the people I work with get kind of, you know, hold both in both hands or hold one in each hand. Um, but it's definitely on a personal level, going, I want to make stuff that I don't care if it gets a big reach. I want the people that, that I care about, and I know care about me to be impacted by it, or to be, at least to be a part of the story that I'm making. And that's a personal level going, you know, if I'm making a film about a personal life moment, like I want to be, I want to know who are the five people I'm sending this link to. And I want their feedback more than I want, you know, 10,000 views on it. So it, it, it like all things in life, it's a little bit of a balancing act. Yeah. Well, and this kind of, that kind of helped jog my memory of, I remember why I kind of pulled the trigger when I, I think someone, either you told me, we met at church, I think mm -hmm. it was where we first met, and you told me you're in video work, and I, I think just the word documentary got brought out, like you make documentaries or something like that. And I think that's why I was so quick just to say, yes, I want to work with this person because you were right there. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have to go online yeah. and, and, you know, search for, you know, look at a bunch yeah. of stuff. If like, I'd done a terrible job, I could have TP'd my house, you know, yeah, was, exactly. <laughs> uh, who needs Google reviews? Let me just, uh, yeah. And, and I think that's you know something we, we often do miss when we're focused just on getting, you know, the, the huge blanket reach online is, is there's so many incredibly creative people to work with right where you are. Uh, you know, if you, if you kind of are, well, I mean, that was the right place, right time kind of situation yeah, yeah. for us. Um, but I mean, the whole story of how Ruth got made was that happening again and again and again mm -hmm. and again. Um, and then, and then we got here and now, yeah. Um, so we'll kind of leave close with this here. Um, you know, making a documentary is, is so interesting and this is why I wanted a, a kind of a documentary made for how this musical got made. Um, because it, it adds a layer of narrative to, you know, the, the footage, right? You're, you're not just taking a home movie, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's we're, we're taking these shots and then we're going to go into the editing room and, and make a narrative come out of, of all this. Now that we're three years removed from this, what narrative would you hope, like somebody now who's just going on our website, clicks on... Uh, you know, Ruth the Musical watches the 10-minute documentary. What would you hope would be like the narrative that they take away with them after they see that? I think one of the really beautiful things about Ruth, as well as the film, goes back to that. Ruth is a fairly ordinary story. It's a fairly calm story. It's not end of the world. Aliens aren't going to fall from the sky and you know attack Boaz if he doesn't marry Ruth. <laughs> Uh, That's the sequel. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ruth Endgame, <laughs> but through the medium of music, you told the story well and in a way that connected with people in a way that it, it previously hadn't. And it, I think that's the invitation that there are more Ruths to be made out there. There are more ordinary, simple stories that, when told correctly, can have 
a deep and beautiful impact on the audience. And you did not have time to plan No, I did that. not have time to plan that. That was, that was <laughs> a fantastic response. Micah, thank you so much for being the first guest here on Feed the Lake uh, podcast. How can people, speaking of engaging online, how can people find out about your incredible work? Uh, my website, micahancock.com, is where I keep most of my work. And uh, that's the best place to see stuff. I am mildly active on social media, but very sporadically. I'd rather be doing work than promoting it, which can sometimes be a fault, but MicahHancock.com. Well, Micah, it was a pleasure to work with you on this project three years ago. It was a pleasure to talk with you now. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. This concludes season one of Feed the Lake. Thank you for joining me on this journey of chronicling my creative process through one of my life's biggest projects up to this point. Whether you are into musical theater and composition or not, I hope you were able to take away something to add to your creative palette. Most of all, I hope you were inspired to keep feeding the lake. I would love to hear about your creative endeavors, and if you are a part-time creator working on a massive project, I'd love to cheer you on and encourage you to bring your work to completion. Feel free to write to me at theruthmusical at gmail.com, or follow me on Twitter at Dave underscore Getz. Lastly, I would love it if you would go on Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast. Any feedback helps, and I hope you come back for Season 2 at some point down the road. Until then, keep feeding the lake.